We're looking at a tribe this morning. We're looking at the tribe of, we're actually looking at the tribe of Jacob. And uh, the tribe of Jacob is a mess. If you know what Jacob's name means, it means deceiver. And Jacob has been a deceiver, you know, most of his life. And you know what? His children, his boys have picked up on that. The nut doesn't fall too far from the tree. Amen? And so last week we looked at uh, chapter uh, 37 and uh, the, the sons of Jacob have sold Joseph off into Egypt. Uh, he's sold to Potiphar. That's how the chapter ends. And, um, and the, but the boys have deceived their father. They take uh, Joseph's coat of many colors. They've dipped it in blood. They take it back to their dad and say, look, what's, look what we found of Joseph's coat. And as you can imagine, Jacob surmises that uh, he's been killed by uh, an animal of some kind. And uh, his, his, son, his son is gone. And he grieves. And Joseph or, or Jacob will, will grieve um, in, for 20 years thinking that his son was killed. And, and his sons live with that. You know, uh, the Bible says they rose up and showed compassion to their father as they were, as he was grieving. But it was hypocrisy because they knew the story. But this was, this was Jacob's tribe. And so now we come to chapter 38. And, um, chapter 38 seems to, seems to switch gears, uh, you know, very suddenly because we're going to zero in on Judah. Okay, Judah is the fourth son in line of the spiritual blessing, the covenant blessing. And, um, you know, Jacob has had 12 sons, 12 sons by four different women, Leah, Rachel, Billah, and Zilpah. But Jacob's line is the line where the, the seed of promise is going to pass through. Jacob is the chosen one. God chose Jacob over Esau. Jacob was the youngest of the twins. Esau was the oldest. But in God's sovereignty, God chose the younger over the older. And, uh, and so as we look at Jacob's life, his family life, it's a mess. And uh, last week was very apparent when they got rid of Joseph. Uh, the brothers despised Joseph. They were very uh, jealous of Joseph because he was, he was the most favored of Jacob. And uh, Joseph was 17 years old and and uh, he allowed this to go to his head. And so he was um, 
rather immature about uh, with his brothers as to being the favorite. And so the, the, the brothers wanted to have him killed. And, um, and as we look at, uh, Jacob's line, um, Reuben is the oldest, followed by Simeon and Levi. And we've learned as going through the book of Genesis so far, that those three brothers, the first three brothers, have all been disqualified for the covenant blessing. Okay? Reuben, he slept with Jacob's concubine. And so that disqualifies him from uh, the spiritual blessing. And then we read about Simeon and Levi and uh, back in Genesis chapter 34. And it... Simeon and Levi became very angry and uh, defensive for their sister Dinah because Dinah had been raped by uh, Shechem. And so the two brothers took justice into their own hands and uh, they went in and they wiped out all the, the men of the town of Shechem. And uh, that brought a very negative name um, on Jacob and his family. It made uh, life very hard for Jacob in that community. And so uh, Simeon and Levi were disqualified from the spiritual blessing. So now Judah, who's fourth, uh, he's in line. And we're going to read about Judah's life this morning, but... It looks like this tribe is unraveling. This is the tribe that God has chosen, and yet all these problems are taking place. The first three brothers, they're out of the picture. Joseph apparently is out of the picture because he's now in Egypt. He's gone. He's out of the story. And so we see Judah. And so as we look at Genesis chapter 38 this morning... I want to divide this passage into three parts. There's three acts, okay? In verses 1 through 11, uh, we're going to look at uh, the fact that Jacob's line is in jeopardy. And then in verses 12 through 23, we'll look at Tamar and her desperate strategy to bear a child. And then in verses 24 through 30, we will look at God's amazing grace once again as we go through this story. So Act 1, let me read verses 1 through 11. And it happened at that time that Judah went down from his brother and turned aside, brothers, and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chesub when she bore him. 
And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go in to your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up your offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Stella, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers, so Tamar went and remained in her father's house. Okay, so in this first part of chapter 38, I want you to see Judah's rebellious heart. The Bible says that it happened at that time, after Joseph had been sold into uh, slavery. So we, we see this chapter here because it's in chronological order between chapters 37 and 39. Um, but we see Judah... And uh, he rebels. He leaves his brothers and he goes not far away, but to a place where there are Canaanite women. Judah knew that uh, he was to avoid marrying in to an unbelieving group of people. He was to avoid the Canaanites. But he meets uh, this This woman, we don't know her name, but we know her uh, father's name. Her father's name is uh, Hera, but she is a Canaanite, and he marries her. Judah is in rebellion. God says this is not to be, and yet Judah goes this direction. And through this relationship, through this marriage, um, Judah has three boys, Onan, and Shelah. And, uh, and they were all Canaanite women as well. And this family knows that they are to, to uh, separate themselves from those around them who are idol worshipers. And yet... Judah and all three boys are marry these um, these godless women, and um, and so dads rebelled and again. The nut doesn't fall far from the tree, and the sons rebel as well. They are not walking with God. They are not walking in holiness. And then we see in verse 7 that Ur, uh, he married the Canaanite woman, Tamar. And in verse 7, the Bible says that the Lord put Ur to death. Verse 7, let me read that again. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, 
was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put Ur to death. And so God did this. Why did God do this? God is holy. And God can do whatever he wants to do, and he's sending a message that he is not pleased with Ur's lifestyle. And he suffers the consequences. Um, Galatians chapter 6 hasn't been written yet, but uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says, um, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that is which he will also reap. And so Ur reaped the consequences of his ways. And with, with Tamar. And so Tamar's a widow. And so uh, Judah tells Onan, who is the second son, the second lot in line of the covenant blessing, he tells Onan to go into, to take Tamar as your wife and to go into her and uh, produce offspring with, um, with Tamar. And Onan disobeys. Um, Onan does his duty uh, for self-gratification, but he doesn't follow through with the entire responsibility. He does not want to produce offspring with, with Tamar. Because Onan knows if uh, he produces offspring with her, that offspring is not going to belong to Onan. It's going to belong to Tamar. And the inheritance is going to go to Tamar's offspring. And so Onan disobeys. Onan is rebellious and, uh, and spills his seed. And so Tamar is unable to get pregnant and what does the Bible say he, God does with Onan? He kills Onan because of his disobedience. And so it, it's a mess. You know, here Judah is fourth in line. And now Ur's gone. Onan's gone. And all is left is Shelah. And uh, Abraham, or Abraham, Judah avoids giving Shelah to Tamar because he's afraid the same thing is going to happen to Shelah that has happened to his other two sons. And he can't afford to lose a third son. And uh, and you might think, well, this is all kind of weird. Why is this taking place in the Old Testament? Why does God uh, allow this? Well, God is providing for the widow at this point. Um, when, when a wife's husband dies, it's the responsibility of the patriarch to make sure that that widow is cared for and stays within the tribe. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a Leverite law. Leverite law has not been written yet. We don't see... We, Israel until uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, 
But the custom, the culture at this time here in the Old Testament, already practicing this. This is the will of God. This is how a widow is to be protected and her inheritance to be preserved to stay within the family tribe. But Judah is more concerned about his family than he is the covenant blessing. Judah should have given Tamar to Sheila at that point. But instead, Judah says, Tamar, you go to your father's house and you stay with him until Sheila grows up. And Judah never intended to give Tamar to Sheila because he was afraid that he would lose his third son and then there would be no covenant blessing to be passed on to his descendants. And so this is uh, verses 1 through 11. Okay, now we come to verses 12 to 23. Let me read, beginning with verse 12. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. And when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his, to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira, the Adulamite. I'm sorry, uh, I had said that Hira was um, um, the... I said that Hira was the um, the father of Judah's Judah's wife, but it, we don't know the name of Judah's wife. Um, we just know her father's name, and her father's name was Shua. Okay, and so now Judah's wife has died, and so um, <clears throat> Jacob has gone to um, his friend Hira, and um, they're going to go to the sheep shearing festival. Verse 13, and when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to, to Timnah to, the, to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to a name, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. And he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? And he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, "If you give me a pledge until you send it, oh, if you give me a pledge until you send it." And he said, "What pledge shall I give you?" She replied, "Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand." So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil. She put on the garments of her widowhood. 
When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the men of the place, where is this cult prostitute that was at a name at the roadside? And they said, to, and they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own and we shall be, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. And so this, here in this passage of scripture, I mean, it's a crazy story. <laughs> and maybe you're here and you're young in the faith and you don't know a whole lot about the Old Testament. And I'm reading a story here this morning. You thought, boy, I've never heard this story. What kind of, what, what, what in the world is going on? Well, let me try to tell you this morning. Um, we're going to look at De- Tam- Tam- Tamara's uh, desperate, t- uh, Tamar's desperate plan. Again, Tamar is at home with her dad, feeling neglected, feeling abandoned by her father-in-law. At this point, she knows that uh, she's not going to be given to Sheila. Tamar is desperate for offspring. And she understands the covenant blessing. She believes in the promises of God and that the inheritance comes through the firstborn son. And so Tamara and, you know, her her strategy here you know is is very sinful but her heart is pure she's not acting out of sexual sensuality for her father-in-law she's living by faith because she believes that the offspring is to come through her. And so she does something, you know, very sinful. She she knows that um, Judah will be coming to the sheep shearing festival. Now, the sheep shearing festival was um, was a time where there was a lot of um, sensuality going on. There was a lot of cultic pra- practice. Uh, um, the cult prostitute, the temple prostitutes were very important at this time of the season, and people uh, coming to the temple would um, join in um, a physical relationship with these temple prostitutes, thinking that uh, the 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 god of Baal would bless their 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 produce. And their flocks as a result. And so here, Joseph, uh, J- Judah is coming to uh, 
uh, Timnar to participate in this. Tamar knows he's coming. And she dresses up like a prostitute to get his attention. And she knows that Judah is vulnerable right now. He's just been, he's just gone through a grieving process. He's lost his wife. We don't know the name of his wife, but he's lost her. He's lost two of his sons. And, uh, he's just in a really low spot. And, uh, and so Tamar is going to take advantage of this. And so she dresses like a prostitute, is on the side of the road, and she gets his attention. And he decides that he wants to go into her. But before he goes into her, she wants, she wants payment. And uh, Judah says, well, I'll give you a goat for this encounter. And uh, he has no goat. And so Tamar says, well, how do I know you're going to give me a goat? I need a guarantee here. And so Judah says, what do you want? Tamar says, well, give me your signet ring. Give me your cord. Give me your staff. Okay? This is like... um, this is like your driver's license. This, this is like your social security number. I mean, you're giving away your identity. For her to have these things, other people will know that these things belong to Judah. And so Tamar says, okay, this is what I want. And Judah agrees. He gives her those things. And so now Tamar has the receipts of this encounter. And um, they go in, they have relations that night, and lo and behold, Tamar conceives. And, um, and so here we are in this um, passage of Scripture, and um, Judah wants to make due on his pledge, Okay. He never intended for Tamar to keep those receipts. He was going to give her a goat. And so he sends the Adulamite back uh, to Timnah with the goat. And uh, Judah's friend is looking all around, you know, trying to find the, the prostitute. And he's got this goat. Have you seen this prostitute? I've got this goat here. <laughs> it looks really bad. And uh, everybody says, we haven't seen this, this prostitute. And so the Adulamite uh, goes back to uh, uh, Joseph or, or Judah and uh, says, she can't be fine, found. And so Judah comes to the conclusion, okay, well, we tried. She's got what she, she wants and life goes on. And now we come to verses 23, 24 through the rest of the chapter, Act 3. About three months later, (laughs) isn't it amazing how those things worked out? (laughs) Three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. As she was being brought out, 
she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are. This signet and this cord and this staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I. Since I did not give her to my son, Shelah, and he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread in his hand, and his name was called Zira. So in this passage, in these last few verses, we're going to see God's amazing grace. Now, to begin with, it's three months later, and Tamar is pregnant with child. And Judah gets word of this. And this is his daughter-in-law. And he is indignant. How dare Tamar live this immoral life? How could she? Doesn't she know what family she's a part of? And instead of showing compassion and concern and wanting to take care of her, no, it's nothing but judgment, condemnation. Uh, there's, there's no, there's no self-awareness here on Judah's part. Now, at this moment, Judah doesn't know that Tamar was the prostitute, supposed prostitute that he had went into. But when he gets word of Tamar's immorality, he has nothing but condemnation for her. And he says, she needs to be burned. And then upon saying that, here they're dragging Tamar out uh, to be burned. But before she is, uh, she's, she says, please tell me who the man or who the father of my children are that these things belong to. And she pulls out her receipts. She pulls out the signet ring the cord, and the staff. And there's no mistaken, these things belong to Judah. And Judah knows it. You can imagine the moment. (laughs) The oxygen has gone out of the room, okay? Judah is guilty. Judah is the father of these children. And Judah sees this and he says an amazing thing in verse 26. 
she is more righteous than I. Judah knows that he's the guilty one. Judah knows that he has abdicated his responsibility. He should have been taking care of his daughter-in-law, Tamar. He didn't give her to Sheila. He sent her away, forgot about her, abandoned her, neglected her because he was concerned about his family, his immediate family, and his third son. He didn't want to lose him. He didn't want him to die. He didn't know why his other two sons had died, but he was afraid that Tamar was a part of a relationship with him, that he would lose Shelah. And Judah knows that he is guilty. And at this moment, Judah is a man of repentance. Tamar did the righteous thing. Now, dressing up as a prostitute? No. But that was not Tamar's motive. Tamar was all about the blessing. She was the one that was to produce offspring. The promised seed was to come through her husband, Er. Tamar believed the promises of God and she was living by faith. And Judah recognized this and could say, she is more righteous than I. What an amazing story here of grace. Judah showed grace. Judah saw his own sinfulness. And as we continue through the book of Genesis, Judah has repented. Chapter 37, Judah wanted to sell Joseph off to Egypt. Okay? Sell him into slavery. He was just concerned about the money and not the welfare of his younger brother Joseph. But now Judah is very apologetic. And eventually, we're going to get to Chapter 44 of Genesis. And Judah has a changed heart. You know, uh, we're going to see this relationship between Joseph and Benjamin. And uh, um, Joseph loved Benjamin. And Joseph wanted to keep Benjamin in Egypt and send uh, the rest of his brothers back to, to Jacob tell them the truth of all that's happened, what's going on, to bring Jacob back to Egypt, and uh, Joseph would take care of the family. But Judah didn't want to do that because he knew how frail his father Jacob was. Jacob had already lost Joseph. Jacob was continuing to grieve for his son, Joseph. And now Benjamin has been sent with the brothers to Egypt. 
And Joseph wants to keep Benjamin with him and send the rest of the family back to Jacob and bring bring the, the tribe back to Egypt. And, and uh, Judah says, I can't do that. If I don't bring Benjamin back with me, my father's going to die. And so ben, or Judah wants to be the substitute for his brother Benjamin. Instead of keeping Benjamin, Joseph, keep me and send Benjamin back with my brothers. And that, at that point, um, Joseph, when he, when, he, when he heard Judah's heart and the transformation that take place and, and all that had been transpiring in his, in his family over all these years, the Bible says in chapter 45 of Genesis that Joseph left that moment and went alone and wept. For, um, for what he had heard, the confession of his brother, Judah. Judah is a transformed man. And the reason why Judah is transformed, that God has used this whole dark story in Judah's life, bring Judah to the place God wants him to be. To, to provide for the covenant promise. And so here we see in this passage of scripture, Joseph repents and a part of God's grace and blessing and restoration. What does God do? He provides Judah with two more sons. He's gained two more sons that he lost. One is Perez, and the other is Zillah. And this story is very reminiscent of the birth that took place with Rebekah and Jacob and Esau, okay? Um, there was a struggle there too. And when uh, Esau was born, he, or Jacob was born, he was born second, but he was clinging to the ankle of Esau. Jacob wanted the blessing. And in God's sovereignty, God chose Jacob over Esau. But in this passage of scripture, um, uh, Tamar is about to deliver and, and uh, Zila comes out first or his hand comes out. And so the, the nurse puts a scarlet thread about around the baby's wrist, but then the wrist goes back into the womb. And who comes out? Uh, Perez comes out. He comes out, so he's, technically, he's, um, he's the second born, okay? Uh, Zila's the first born. And, uh, but in this passage of scripture, in God's sovereignty, God is going to choose Perez over Zila. But Judah and Tamar are blessed with two boys. And the covenant promise is going to come through Tamar. God's going to take a very ugly situation and use it in both of their lives. Judah is going to come from this a changed person because he's repented. 
God has transformed his heart and his life. And God continues to use Judah and the tribe of Judah through Perez. Perez, uh, uh, through, through, through Perez is going to eventually come King David. Through King David will ultimately come King Jesus who is the only one worthy to open the scroll that we read about in Revelation chapter 5. God is faithful to his covenant promises. He is never going to renege on his promises. And maybe you're here this morning and um, you don't have a story like Judah and Tamar, but you've got a story that you're not very proud of. Well, as we saw last week, God never waits for circumstances to become perfect for him to work in a person's life. God uses all things for our good and his glory. And so here we see what has been a very dark scenario God uses to turn around to magnify, magnify his grace and his sovereignty and his forgiveness and his restoration. That's who God is. And God can do the very same thing in your life. Let me just encourage you. If you hear, if you hear a story about somebody and you think to yourself, How could they have made that kind of decision? Who do they think they are? And we take the moral moral superior path of condemning them or, or criticizing them. Let's not be so quick to judge. Judah was quick to judge Tamar when Judah was guilty himself. God is at work in every situation. And we need to trust what God is doing rather than try to come across as morally superior as somebody else. Judah learned his lesson. And even though Tamar was not as pure as the driven snow in chapter 38, she was a woman of faith. And what did God do through Tamar's life? Yep, she gave him her Perez. But Tamar, this Canaanite convert, was included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We read of her in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. This is what God does. This is who God is. And may God use us to be a source of encouragement and hope with others 
who are going through difficult times. They can trust God. God has a plan and a purpose for what they are going through. God has a plan and a purpose for what you're going through. God's not through writing your story. And so may we learn from this. As ugly as this story was, God's grace and sovereignty shines through. And he wants to do the same in each of our lives as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this amazing story that is oftentimes overlooked because we don't understand it. We can't believe it's in the Bible. But God, you don't hide anything. You, you have used a tribe that was messed up that was far from purpose, perfect, God, to accomplish your purposes. God, as you work through that family, so you can work through me. So you can work through us. So, Father, encourage hearts this morning. You're active. You're not done. The pen is still in your hand. You're still writing the story for each of our lives. May we be people like Tamar who walk by faith and not by sight, who believe the covenant promises, who believe your word. You are going to accomplish every promise. Lord, we love you. Help us to be people of the book, to appreciate the words that are contained in this book. There's no other book like it. And may we build our life on the promises of this book. Bless this time of invitation. As we worship you now, Lord, may this be our heart cry to you of who we want you to be in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? as we?